the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. If you were with us last week, then you heard our ministry intern, Sarah Rich, preach a very fine sermon on the doctrine of adoption. That is, how God, by His grace, makes us to be His children. She preached from the epistle, from the passage in Ephesians. And you may have noticed, she didn't touch the gospel passage, because it was, it was a tough one. <clears throat> in fact, even... Uh, as I read it uh, last week from, uh, the, from the middle here and said the gospel of the Lord, it just didn't feel right in my mouth because it, the word gospel means good news and there was just not much good news in last week's gospel passage, which if you weren't here last week or you don't remember, uh, was principally concerned with uh, King Herod beheading John the Baptist. So not a lot of good news uh, there. Uh, and, but in the Gospel of Mark, this, that, that bad news passage comes right before our passage today, which is a good news passage, chock full uh, of good news. And so I want to talk a little bit about both passages, uh, last week's Gospel and this week's Gospel. And what I want to show is how Mark has intentionally put these two passages right next to each other in order to make that good news seem all the better for you and for me. So last week's passage began with the neurosis of King Herod, who is anxiously wondering if the powers displayed by Jesus indicate somehow that Jesus is actually John the Baptist back from the dead. And that would be bad for Herod because Herod was the one that beheaded John the Baptist. And so Mark then tells us that very sad story. You may know it or you may remember it from last week. If you don't, I will recount it. Uh, I will say that it is a little like that old song. That, uh, it's a comedic song called I Am My Own Grandpa. Do you, do you remember uh, that song? You can look it up on YouTube. Uh, it's sort of like that song mixed with uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, so a little bit, uh, which I've never seen. But the, uh, uh, So this Herod that we are uh, talking about uh, is... Herod Antipas. Uh, he is the son of King Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great was the one who interacted with the, the wise men, the Magi, when Jesus was born and uh, wanted to have all of the, the young boys uh, killed in order to try to get at Jesus. That King Herod, King Herod the Great, uh, he died and his kingdom was split into three parts. And three of his sons were given, were made sort of king over the, each of those parts. There was Archelaus, he's not important to this story. There was Philip. And there was Antipas. And Herod Antipas has John the Baptist in prison because John has been saying publicly that Antipas should not be married to his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. Now, Herodias had divorced Philip, and uh, Antipas had divorced his wife, and so the two got married. And, you know, as if it's not bad enough that Antipas married his sister-in-law, I, I will say I always thought it was strange that someone named Herodias would marry into the Herod family. I mean, her name is so similar, so I did a little research, and you guessed it, she's already part of the family. Uh, she, um, she is actually the daughter of Philip and Antipas's half-brother, and uh, making her also, in addition to ex-wife and wife, she's also their niece. And um, 
So, so John the Baptist thought that wasn't such a good idea, and uh, it wasn't according to God's law, and uh, for for uh, Herod to be married to his um, ex uh, sister in law niece, and so uh, Herodias, though I mean she wanted she didn't want John to be saying this out, uh, publicly, so she wanted him dead, right? And so, uh, but Herod liked listening to John. He he didn't want him saying what he said, so he imprisoned, but he liked listening. He didn't want to kill him. But then there's, so Herod Antipas, his birthday rolls around. He throws this big, drunken, raging party for uh, his buddies, and he invites his stepdaughter, uh, who is probably only a young teenager, incidentally is also both his niece and his grandniece at the same time, uh, to come in and, uh, and do a dance for his guests. Probably not just a little tap number. Uh, <laughs> Uh, because Herod was so hot and bothered uh, in his drunken state after this dance that he rashly offers to give her whatever she wants up to half his kingdom. Well, the girl, she doesn't know what to make of such an offer, so she goes to the person she ought to trust, which was her mother, but her mother sees this not as an opportunity for her daughter to get ahead. Well, I guess she did get ahead, but... um, (laughs) It's too easy. It's too easy. Um, not as an opportunity for his daughter to, uh, to advance, but, uh, but rather Herodias sees it as an opportunity to grind uh, her own axe. So the daughter comes back, asks for all, all that she could have asked for. Why didn't she just ask for the half of the kingdom that had John the Baptist in it? I don't know, but um, she asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter, and the rash and drunken king cares more about the depraved entertainment of his guests than he does about preserving the life of God's prophet. This king is a picture of humanity's underbelly. Uh, He illustrates the dark end of a life of self-service, self-pleasure, and self-importance. Where he, as the king of God's people, ought to be an exemplar of uh, civic responsibility and upstanding character. He is instead the poster boy for self-interest, leading to self-deception, leading to self-deterioration. He is godlessness. He is the lack of a spiritual and moral center writ large. And he is placed right here by Mark on purpose, right next to another king. A different kind of king. Right next to your king and my king. He's placed right here next to King Jesus. And I think that Mark wants us to see uh, that we have here two kings. Two very different kind of kings. Kings with contrasting character. Kings who use their kingship in opposite ways. One to serve himself. One to serve others. And I think that we are meant plainly uh, to see the attractiveness of the character of Christ. So Mark brings our focus uh, from Herod Antipas over to King Jesus. And we see Jesus receiving his disciples. They've returned from a sort of mission trip that he sent them out, uh, sent them out on. And he's interested in them. He is focusing his attention on them. He's inviting them to rest from their busyness, to process all that they have experienced. Jesus says, come away. 
Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. I mean, here is God incarnate. He is uh, the one person on the planet who would have every right to ask uh, anyone, anywhere, no matter what the situation, and to tell them what to do to meet his own ends. And yet, we find him not delegating, not barking out commandments, but uh, inviting them, caring for them, shepherding them. He has plans for uh, how and where they will find their rest. He's blessing. He's blessing. So he sets out in a boat across the Sea of Galilee with the twelve. They're headed for a remote area to rest. And they're making their way across the lake. Sea of Galilee is really just a uh, kind of a big lake, and they're rowing across, and they could probably just on the distant shore catch a glimpse of uh, a small a group of people heading through a fishing town. It uh, comes out on the other side of the fishing town, a little more people, and then the next fishing town, more people and more people, and, and then now they're halfway across the lake. There's like a 1,000 people or 2,000 people, and it must have been obvious at this point they weren't going to get the rest that they had been looking for, right? And so I would have turned around and started rowing in the opposite direction. But they didn't do that. Uh, They came to the shore, now mobbed by uh, 5,000 or more people. It's the same crowd that would get the uh, miracle meal. We'll talk about feeding the 5,000 next week. But what's amazing, I think, about this this passage is that Jesus treats these uh, people in the crowd not as bitter because his plans aren't being... um, you know, he's not getting to do what he had hoped to do, which is what I, I would be bitter. But, um, but Jesus is treating the people in the crowd with the same tenderness that he shows his close friends. Uh, there is a consistency to Jesus' character. Again, you know, he's just, juxtaposed to the carnal character of King Herod. Uh, and we see here the compassion of the King of Kings. It says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, what is important for you to know is that when Mark is using that expression to describe the people, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He's not just being poetic. He's actually being deeply theological because it turns out that many, many centuries before Moses had prayed to God at the end of his life, knowing that it was the end of his life, he had prayed to God that God would raise up and provide a leader for his people so that they would not be like sheep without a shepherd. So here we see them, again, all these centuries later, and these are God's people, and they are like sheep without a shepherd. And why are they like sheep without a shepherd? We just saw their shepherd, right? He, is, he beheaded John the Baptist. He is ruthless and cowardly and immoral and self-serving. The shepherd has failed the people. So they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so what Mark is doing is he's, he's showing us the uh, kindness and compassion of Jesus' character, but he's also showing us that King Jesus is actually the ultimate fulfillment of Moses' prayer. That he is the shepherd that the sheep need. He's the good shepherd. He's the good king. 
And I don't simply mean that he's the preferable king. Of course, he is preferable to Herod, but he's actually the king who is God in the flesh. He is, by very definition, uh, goodness. He defines what goodness is. And I want you to notice what Jesus is not doing for the disciples and for these people. He's not nitpicking at their sins and, and making sure they're busy doing his work. And that's because he would die for their sins so that they could rest in his finished work. So we've got two kings right next to each other. And one is the picture of broken humanity, and one came to save broken humanity. One is a killer, the other came to be killed. One is self-serving, one is self-giving. And I guess in one sense, we could say that they represent a choice, right? Each of us has a choice. Which one will we be like? Will we be self-serving or will we be self-giving? And of course, you know the right answer. The right answer is, well, we should be self-giving. But the truth is that we're self-serving. I mean, it may not look, in your life, you hadn't probably married your you know, sister-in-law, niece, wife, you know, whatever that is. But, you know, we can think of a million ways. A million ways, big and small, uh, overtly, and just in our motivation where we are self-serving, where we are sitting on the throne of our hearts where God belongs. We've taken his place. We're serving uh, ourselves. But see, the reason why this juxtaposition is so uh, such good news for us is that Jesus remains, regardless of our mistakes, that he remains compassionate. He remains the good shepherd that we need. He remains the good king that we were made to serve. See, he's not turned away from our mistakes. He's not uh, crossing his arms, tapping his foot, waiting for us to get our act together. He is your good shepherd. He's your good king. He died for you and rose again so that you could rest in his finished work. So that you might be made child of his by faith. So where we find ourselves in the story is in the crowd, right? We're the ones, we're the sheep without a shepherd. We're running, we're looking, we're we're searching for the one that we were made for. Who find our rest in the compassion of God. Christ. And it's from that place. I mean, you should make that choice, right? You should, you should choose to be self-giving instead of self-serving, but it's really from that place of, of resting in his finished work that it doesn't, it's not a choice anymore. It's just a natural response. Where at the very least, we want to want to do the right thing. And slowly, 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 by his grace, we begin to be shaped into the character of the Good Shepherd. So this morning, I hope that you will run to him like the crowd, that you will find uh, his compassion, and that you will find his rest, knowing that he is your good king. Amen.